Welcome back to another episode, episode 12 of the Wound Masterclass podcast. Today's episode is decoding wound descriptions, why the words we use matter. And this podcast is going to be delving into common myths and misconceptions around words that we commonly use in the world of wound care. I'm your host, Negin Shamsi, and I'm the editor of Wound Masterclass. And today I'm very excited to be joined by Ron Legacy. He is an expert in wound care, um, being an educator for many decades in Netherlands in this field. Ron really has dedicated his career to advancing wound care knowledge through research, teaching, innovation. And he is somebody who um, focuses on ensuring that we have the right terminology to ensure that we are um, discussing the same features within wound care in our clinical practice. And Ron has, has been someone who has given many presentations and published a lot around this topic. Uh, he's based in the Netherlands and we're really excited to have him join us to help us expand our knowledge on terminology and wound management and really thrilled to have him know having an informal discussion with us on this podcast about that problematic area that we face which is confusion around wound terminology so let's get started really uh, excited to do this podcast with you Ron um I know yeah. we we obviously um have been part of the same discussions in terms of kind of terms in wound care and it seemed like a good opportunity to kind of see the misnomers in wound care that we've both come across so yes yes and i i came across uh, these misnomers so many years ago and uh, in fact it was in april 2005 that i was talking to guido mino uh, mm -hmm. a famous pathologist he, he deceased in 2010 but I have had the privilege of knowing him and regularly speaking to, to him for the last six years of his life. Amazing guy. And once I, in just in, in a casual discussion, I mentioned the term chronic wound and he paused. And I, I didn't know why at that time he was still living in the US. But he said, well, that's just impossible. A wound cannot be chronic. You, you heat it. You either heat it or you die from it. You know, you... What is possible, he, he was jokingly adding, he said, what is possible is that you can you can be willing or wanting to take care of chronic of these wounds chronically. You know, but the, but the, the and the same with inflammation, I see terms like um hyperinflammation, that's like super pregnant. I mean <laughs> And if you can, if you as a policymaker or insurer can get away with professionals with with misnomers like these, you can get away with anything. Absolutely, and it's and it's interesting to see from your perspective the evolution of these terms and and why do we feel that these kind of terms have changed? Because it's important as wound care clinicians, scientists, to be kind of congruent with our terminology in order to share that information adequately to ensure that we are using the same terms to mean the same things i mean i i find the one that you kind of started the, our discussion with chronic wounds it's quite an interesting evolution isn't it the the word chronic had negative connotations i think um and i think that was it, the push to change it yes it has a negative connotation and and uh 
and and you run the risk that it's being misused on a higher level like insurers or uh, paying for products or taking products from the shelves which is happening in 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 my country as we speak really? and it's it, it's a consequence of years of misusing terminology so how do you think that's changed in terms of uh, what do you think drove that change to get rid of the term chronic? I mean, I think I, I must be guilty as and most sort of other clinicians and scientists are that in my mind, I'm still thinking right, that's a chronic wound. So I have to kind of stop myself and change the terminology to the hard to heal. Um, what do you think was the driving force behind the sort of name changes in that respect? I don't know, really. I don't know, really. I, I, I can't. I have published in the Wounds International in the first uh, in the first uh, issue uh, back in two thousand nine, and I tried to to find all the adjectives used before the word wound, mm -hmm. and I found at that time I found ten to twelve. Wow. The, yeah, and the most. Uh, strange was uh, um, was uh, oh, obstinate. Obstinate was used. An obstinate wound, or a recalcitrant wound. Yeah, and it's so belittling to patients. Also, like yeah. like uh, the word compliance, for instance. A yeah. professor in the UK, Patricia Price, you might know her. Uh, she proposed many many years ago to change compliant because that insinuates someone has to listen to what I order. And that's also a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. And she proposed to change that to adherence mm -hmm. because you as a doctor or as a nurse, as a medical professional, you have to sell the proposed interventions to the patient so that the patient can actively adhere to it, stick to it yeah. instead of Instead of I'm ordering, I'm I'm the professional, and you just have to listen, specifically exactly. towards uh, patients with diabetes. You know, yeah, it's it's we are putting a stigma on these people. They are not listening. They are stubborn. They won't uh, they won't buy into a healthcare scheme of the professional. Yeah, and that's and, and it's it's all it it is all happening in the mind, I guess, mm -hmm. and and. But, but re referring to that discussion I had back in April 2005 with Guido Mino, he said, as a professor in pathology, it's, it's just not possible. A chronic a wound cannot be chronic because uh, you can describe it as, uh, as he proposed, a complicated wound mm -hmm. that's more apt because I, I'm citing Guido Mino again, because something is obviously keeping this wound from healing. Stalling that wound, yeah. And I think obviously, I think you're you're really gonna hit the nail on the head with a lot of these words like obstinate, recalcitrant, these all have such negative connotations, don't they? Yeah. Obstinate, yeah. wound isn't doing what I'm expecting it to do. Yeah. And by yeah. default, um, it's not my fault. So yeah. a lot of that is kind of, it's it's putting the blame back on the actual individual with the wound or the actual wound itself it's it's obstinate it's not you know it's not following the normal healing trajectory but actually yes. if it's not following the normal healing trajectory it's stalling in one of those phases of that cycle 
And it's identifying which of those phases it's stalling in and, and how to treat it by the appropriate modality to get it out of that stalled phase. But Exactly, exactly. And, and, and that's what Guido Mino then, that's why he proposed not to use complex or non-healing or stalled or whatever. He just said, why not name it complicated? That's more interesting for the patient because now, like in fractures, you, you use complicated because right. it's more complicated than if the bones would not stick out of the skin. So, yeah. so they have adopted to the term complicated. And this is what Mino meant. But if you name it complicated, it's more, uh, the patient has more chances on healing mm -hmm. because you as a professional do not have the attitude towards the patient like with hanging shoulders like yeah it's a chronic wound you know this yeah. can take years it, it might take forever yeah. Um, yeah and and also if you use complicated your professional mind is more able to go in in the right direction like like trying to find the things that are obviously keeping the wound from healing absolutely you know? and uh yeah, and I think there is that uh, connotation if a patient comes to you with a chronic wound in your mind and it may be any member of that wound care team that's looking after that patient, ah, chronic, it's been there a long time, then exactly. that, that motivation to kind of get that wound healed is somehow, well, it's a chronic wound. And I think maybe that's part of the reason they they changed that terminology. And they changed, you know, I think most people are now adopting this hard to heal which again, I think sometimes it that has its drawbacks as well. Um, you're agree, labeling it hard to heal, whereas yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, and I think that brings us to the other term which you don't like and I don't like, <laughs> which is uh, well, critical colonization and granulitis. Yeah, well, critical. I just looked it up. Critical colonization was uh, was invented yeah. by Andrew Kingsley back in a nurse. I, he was uh, doing attending the uh, Master of Science uh, in Cardiff, and he I, I can't uh, I didn't find anything older than uh, his paper in two thousand three where he, where I first saw the term critical colonization. It's a, it proposes a certain point for all of us, and that's where it goes wrong. It's not for all of us. Yeah, any patient has a critical point beyond which things go bad but yeah. it's not a point it's yeah. only a point for a specific patient and you can never put this in an algorithm yeah. because then you go then it goes wrong Absolutely. because what, yeah. what what is critical for me maybe maybe the, the point of critical colonization for me personally would be reached if i was operated on by you as a surgeon and you would you would have five stitches too many in a certain amount of wound area Whereas you, on the other hand, operated by me, can can easily cope with such an amount of uh, stitches. You yeah. know, it, yes. it can be. They're not comparable, be... are they? They're not comparable, no. or they so, can be randomized or matched or any of those things. But again, yeah. I think a lot of that move of critical colonization was to put the blame back to the microbiology. So the blame was taken from again, this wound isn't healing again. It's not the fault of the clinician or the wound care team. It's actually the microbiological. It's delayed because there is colonization and the healing is stalled because there are no overt signs and symptoms of infection, but it's colonized. But you could argue, 
a lot of wounds are colonized that heal. I think they are all colonized. Exactly. You know, by they're not all they're not all infected. Exactly. So where does this term critical colonization actually help us in terms of it didn't. Yeah. It didn't. So it has left the building, but not the books. <laughs> you know, it has there. left it has left the journals, but it's still in the books. And that's what I um, face that every every day, every lecture, young people say, but it's in my book. Yeah, get a new so, book. But the responsibility, <laughs> the, the responsibility, in my opinion, is not laying in the student, it's in the teachers. The so, teachers should not introduce terms, uh, vague terms, like per primum intentionem, you as a surgeon, whose intention is it anyway? Is it the patient's intention to heal it at first? Uh, in, in the first trajectory or is it your intention I'm citing Guido Mino again nobody knows nobody knows how that term originated but it's still here thousands of years and it's very hard to get rid of these terms once they're in and I think there's been a lot of debate around biofilm hasn't there um, over the years and I think even even very recently there's a kind of a drive to to change that in in some ways as well the definition in, but in which direction well, that's just to be to be confirmed. I think <laughs> I think there's discussions ongoing, from what I understand, as to oh, okay, okay. That. But I think a lot of obviously the hard to heal, the critical colonization, all of these are sort of tiptoeing around that main concept as to there still is a lot of unknown as to what makes wounds stall. I totally agree, Negin, and I think. I, I think it's the responsibility of the scientific community to, to not introduce that many new uh, terms because they, they are instantly taken up by the, by the practitioners mm -hmm. who also don't know how to precisely describe things. Yeah. So it's our, I, yeah, I think it's our responsibility. And and to come back to come to the granulitis, if you if you like me to, yes. um, oh, one more thing about critical colonization, I would be inclined to agree, if the term would apply to the species Homo sapiens on planet Earth. You know that could be a, a general concept, a valid concept for the tipping point of the health status of the planet. But, but that doesn't apply to the individual with a wound, I think. No. No. Uh, granulitis was introduced in January uh, 2023. Yes, that's right. Order, yeah, in the Journal of Wound Care by a guy I, I truly admire who right. has so much contributed to the quality of wound care worldwide. Yes. Uh, and then he comes up at the end, like I am at the end of my uh, working career also, uh, and then he comes up with two new terms, uh, granulitis and hyperinflammation in the same sentence, in the title <laughs> of the publication. Yes, it's... Uh, and so I see. Let's look at his uh, definition, actually. So um, he introduces the term granulitis, and he's, he calls it uh, an area of inflamed, unhealthy granulation tissue. I think... Granulation tissue is, by definition, a product of the inflammatory phase of, of the wound healing cascade, yeah. like exudate is also. Yes. Uh, so if there is 
if you would suppress the inflammation, these things wouldn't happen. Uh, but these things should happen for for short duration because now all the goodies can be transported to the wound. And in granulation tissue, it's not only, I think, not only for large extent through uh, collagen, but there are also many inflammatory cells in it to guard off what healthy skin normally does, but temporarily. Right. Uh, so, so granulitis is like saying you have uh, an inflamed inflammation. Yes. Inflammation is already inflamed. Yes. It's... That's why we call it inflammation. I think the issue, do you have, because I, I find hypergranulation, I'm okay with. I've seen it. I know it does stall healing. <laughs> I'm okay with hypergranulation. I'm okay with overgranulation. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I buy granulitis. I don't know. I just, to me, inflammation of granulation tissue is not a pathological, well, I don't think there is inflammation of gran granulation tissue. I think either granulation tissue is developing at the normal rates that you would imagine for that physiological process for that individual, or you can have granulation tissue, tissue which is overreacting and overgranulating. And with that, again, I've seen that in clinical um, practice. We've treated it, and there are ways of treating it that are very effective. So for that, I don't really have an issue with overgranulation. But inflammation of granulation tissue, as you say, is a bit of a misnomer, I think, to me, it, from from my clinical practice, I would say. I, I agree. I agree again. Uh, yet in, in, uh, in the classroom, I often ask the, the students, please think about what you see yeah. or try to biologically answer this question. Does healthy granulation tissue have any business beyond or outside the borders of a wound? Mm -hmm. Should it be there in the first place? I acknowledge that you can have this situation and I acknowledge that there are several ways to treat it. But is it some disease state which should be treated or is it, uh, is it a complication of something that was or was not done before? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So is it a natural phenomenon mm -hmm. or is it, is it something, is it now here because it went, something went wrong? I think the last. Uh... Yeah. Is it physiological or is it pathological? And, exactly. And actually, exactly. and actually, while we're talking about the wound margins within the wound margins, yes, we can get scarring that is within, was hypertrophic scarring, which is within the wound margins. But again, that's way past that granulation inflammatory phase. That is in the final phase of healing. That's in the sort of scar formation remodeling phase. So again, with that hypertrophic scarring, yes, that's within the wound margins. Keloid scarring, that's out yeah. with margins, the original wound margins. Yeah. But again, that's not part of that early phase of inflammation. No. And, no. And, so and and that brings that brings on uh, another topic like. You know, we as clinicians are not very afraid of having some granulation tissue and then it, it turns over to scar tissue, like the, the healing of a pressure injury or a venous leg ulcer. But in the burn situation, we all know, specifically in very young children, the disasters that are brought about by, 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 by uh, granulation tissue. 
because then it becomes scarring and because the child grows and scars do not, you have these uh, long-term problems. But that's another issue. I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. So I think that we we have the same top 10 <laughs> terms, which we don't like. Um, I think the next one would be, for me, I think, debridement, certainly. I think that term to me means removing devitalized tissue. It is. It, it is by definition. I, I, I and guess. it's being used to describe a thorough cleanse of the wound, to describe wound bed prep as such as, you know, using solutions. And that's been used interchangeably with debridement. Or I think like if you look back to the French origins of the word, et cetera, it was initially described as that devitalized tissue. How, how do you think in, in your practice, have you heard that term being being used as as a as a way of just saying you're cleansing the wound or you're cleaning the wound. Well, I I, I recognize the interchangeability of of using uh, various terms, including the wrong ones, mm -hmm. under the same uh, under the same words. I I once made a joke about uh, the origin. You're saying rightfully the origin is French, and I said if if the origin would have been English you would have a completely different understanding. You know, you would take the bride out of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> bride. <laughs> yes, Brideman, exactly. Well, I was, I thought for a minute you were going to tell me there were Dutch origins to that word. <laughs> but we did have... I, 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 the nice thing is that Anthony van Leeuwenhoek in, in 1683 or 86 first described biofilm, not by using the words, but uh -huh. he took some particles of food between his teeth and he saw teeming of microorganisms then he cleansed his mouth washing with uh, acidic acid uh, solution and brushing and then again he took some new stuff between his teeth there was nothing alive on the surface but surely it was alive on the cut surface and he described that in the oral the... biofilm back in the yeah. day amazing yeah i mean i think I think that's some of the problems with these terms as well is that maybe people were doing research at the same time globally um, yet people were using different terms to mean the same thing and then now those, those terms have evolved out with their original definition so for instance there may have been a reason to use granulitis definition but then that's moved on to people describing any red wound that is not healing oh there's evidence of granulitis then it becomes a kind of default lazy diagnosis sometimes as well, people try and... The word, the, it's very interesting that you're using the word lazy. Yeah, controversial. I think, I, think I think you're right, you're quite right, that many, many, many people don't even bother to think about the origin of a word or how, how, how it evolved, how it came into... Uh, and it's, uh, I, I read something about the same Guido Mino said, we have written about this topic 40 years ago, ago, and that's too long ago to be found in modern searching engines. <laughs> yes, very true. Yes. We have a short. Yeah. Uh, we often say to students, you you are not allowed to take to look back more than eight or five or ten years. Why is that? What would it mean to us if you couldn't listen to music older than five years? Wow, yes. Huh? Yes, absolutely. That's right. And I think a lot of journals, when they're publishing uh, papers, articles, they'll often say, oh, we need the references to be within the last 10 years. But when, when Masterclass, we don't. <laughs> because we actually, we, 
we do acknowledge that there's some very good research that may be older than 10 years, just like there are, you know, ideas that are older than 10 years that are that are worthwhile. It seems a very arbitrary kind of um, cutoff point. Uh, yeah. And I think if we don't see where we've been on the journey in the wound care terminology, then we may make the same mistakes again when we go through the, you know, maybe 20, 30 years from now, people will still be having the chronic, hard to heal, complicated, complex discussion. Um, or hopefully they'll have finished the solution by then. Yeah, well, I'm 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 not cynical because if I would be cynical, I would I would immediately stop and go away, you know, because that's that's not helping anyone. But I am critical about uh about these developments because be, 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 because more and more I I mean a word we didn't discuss it in our top tens uh, respectively, I think, but uh, to me, to me, a skin tear. Mm -hmm. Many people in my country are very persistent in using the wrong uh, pronunciation, skin tear. It's mm -hmm. not a tear, it's a tear. But a tear is a laceration by definition. Mm -hmm. So we could adjust our existing definitions by adding something in the category of lacerations, but we don't. We mm -hmm. invent, it's like marketing. You invent a new name, skin tear, and then you publish, you become professor and you travel the world and and talk about phase one two or three skin tear you have your new thing and luckily i think critical colonization has left because it was wrong mm -hmm. and we should be more critical in reappraising these uh, terminologies and and in fact he said in his in his opening words of the paper of january uh, last year there have been multiple descriptive terms for the wound pathology. Yes. And that's confusing people. And then you go on by introducing two new ones. How's yes. that? I, yeah, I, I found that paper, I, I found it interesting in that, um, yes, obviously the, the premise for, for that paper was to say that, obviously the hard to heal is now believed to be inextricable really linked to biofilm and then it's moving on to kind of pathology and it says it does acknowledge that it's very difficult that terminology must be understood by everybody a better understanding of shared concerns which i agree with all of those things that, that have been said and does in fact also acknowledge that words and expressions are constantly evolving to increase relevance and i think possibly that is then laying the groundwork for introducing a potential and i think obviously there's no there's no harm in kind of um, hypothesizing new ways of, you know, looking at difficult subjects. But I think it does have to be um, substantiated. If you're going to yeah. say something is inflamed, then we need to see the microbiological evidence of that. Let, let me see that bi microbiologically so that I can, you know, take that term on and use that myself when uh, I'm describing things. So I think perhaps it's just adding that level of um, cynicism to any new concept, as you would as a scientist, as you would as a clinician, is you know to take it with a pinch of salt. Let me actually look into this concept and see why this new term has been introduced now of all times. Um, yeah. But as you quite quite rightly say, I mean, I think your view about skin tears is that that's a new definition which you feel shouldn't be there. And then does that open a whole new treatment protocol then for skin tears? Does it? Well, I mean. 
it does in terms of, you know, people have developed pathways for management of skin tears, et cetera. It's, it's quite a kind of, it's an area of wound care where there is a lot of time investment into trying to optimize these, the skin tear patients. So as you say, a term has been introduced and then there's a pathway and protocol on how to manage skin tears, an international protocol. Oh, I, uh, again, of, of course, every new term is followed immediately by, 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 a, by a host of pathways and protocols. And, and I, I would like to go to look back or look down or look to a microscope or be, be very precise and think, but where did it come from? And was it really needed? You know, yeah. like, like I said earlier, is 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 hyperinflammation really adding something substantial to our understanding? Uh, and if so, if so, I am critical. My stance is uh, to be critical, and I would say, well, okay, then then uh, hyperpregnant or superpregnant should should be could be used also. Yeah, so you feel it's very much a binary zero or one. Is it there? Isn't it there? There is no hyper. I mean, there are hypercoagulability. There is hyper. There are other, obviously, uh, hypertrophy of organs. There is hypertrophy of tissue. So it's kind of looking back to like, where is the evidence? Where is the cellular evidence? Yeah. This has been, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and is there is there a biologic reason to adapt our language. I have difficulty, and that's maybe uh, maybe uh, just a few lines about what you brought in with exudates, interchangeably used with drainage or pus, which is obviously wrong also. Yes. Uh, and, uh, then again, if, if, if exudate would not be possible for us animals to produce, mm -hmm. Then, then even the cardinal signs of inflammation wouldn't be mm -hmm. there because yeah. they are all there because things have to be delivered on another place in your body to, to try to keep the damage locally so you won't die. Absolutely. You know? I mean, I think for the listeners, just to go into obviously traditionally exudate um, should really only refer specifically to serum from inflammatory tissues, which is a result of that cascade, that inflammatory cascade. Whereas on a day-to-day -day basis, we're seeing exudate being used interchangeably with drainage and pus. Um, whereas, you know, pus or that sort of other form so of completely different. Not, not serum. So therefore it's not exudate. And I think that's yeah. where if, if we're questioning that terminology of exudate, then we need to look back at all the high exudate, low exudate wounds that are being classified as well. Um, and maybe they need to be kind of looked at in terms of whether that's a true definition. A high exudate wound may not be just purely from serum being discharged into the surface. It might be something else. It might be a yeah. wound that's got other fluids. So, yeah, very interesting. So um, shall we read for our listeners the top 10 of misnomers that we think? And do you see any on the horizon that might be adding to, to the list? We've got granulitis, you've got as your number one. We've got exudate, debridement, obviously sometimes misused when people are referring to cleaning. We've talked about chronic complex, hard to heal. For me, Eshkar is one because I feel obviously Eshkar traditionally is necrotic or non-viable tissue, whereas people mistakenly call a scab or any fibrinous material 
that's viable. Ashkar, so that for me is one. Um, maceration, obviously, moisture exposure. May, may, may I say something about the scar? Yes, of course. I, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, to me personally, I, I have most difficulties in trying to understand if fibrinous slough in a wound mm -hmm. is the last bit of a destructive phase mm -hmm. or maybe the first of building, of prolif proliferation, because you often see through a semi-translucent yellow, whitish, sloughish mm -hmm. substance, yeah. the, up the uprising of granulation tissue. So all the other things like necrosis or ascar or are, are clear cut, but yeah. the fibrinous stuff, I'm beginning to have doubts. Yeah, I mean, it is a very fine line. I think in my mind, I think of um, fibrin as obviously that final pathway of the extrinsic and string intrinsic clotting cascade. And then the fibrin plot is that last stage. So in my mind, I see that as the last stage of that phase of healing, whereas it might signify that then that's moving over to the next phase of healing. So I think, no, these are difficult, difficult topics, which I think why this podcast has been uh, really interesting, because I think within us, we each have our skepticisms about certain terms in wound care. Um, but it's interesting to see me and you shared quite a lot of these uh, skepticisms in these categories. And Perhaps our audience can also comment and, and let us know what they think in terms of... That would, that would be very welcome, yes. And you, but I interrupted you. You were, you were, say, going to maceration. Oh, I just said maceration sometimes I feel is uh, a misnomer as well in that um, obviously maceration is often used where excoriation or scratching should be used. Whereas really in my mind, maceration is if there's moisture damage and the skin becomes macerated as a result of urine or fluid or anything like that on the skin whereas i feel sometimes people are using macerated to i think they're confusing it with lacerated and it's used in that term so i think that's that was one for okay. me um but the rest i think we've we've covered really i think that's most of it i think so yeah it's been a real pleasure ron to have you joining me on this podcast today and uh bringing your expertise not just you know your current knowledge uh in terms of what's going on in wound care, but the background and how these terms have evolved and how these terms have changed, but coming at it from a very scientific perspective. Um, I've been really grateful to kind of spend the last 40 minutes with you to kind of discuss these. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> we hope, hope to have a part two to this. We'll get some uh, feedback from our audience and see what other terms they think are misnomers. And uh, maybe we can come back and do a, a second podcast together. I would be delighted to do so. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Ron. Well, that wraps up another illuminating episode of the Wound Masterclass podcast. And I want to thank my special guest, Ron Legerstee from the Netherlands, for lending us his wealth of wound expertise today and delving into really some of those most persistent myths about decoding wound descriptions and why the words we use matter. Ron unpacked a lot of game-changing wisdom around advancements in assessing wound infection, biofilm, and understanding the terminology behind wound healing, biofilms, and really pushing past those outdated approaches uh, and outdated terms that we may have come across. Uh, Ron's decades of research, analysis, and patient work really offer a real-world clarity 
on nomenclature in the field of wound care. So I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I think there were a lot of moments there which I think will possibly help us moving forward and how we use terminology uh, in our daily clinical practice. I hope you can join us for the next episode, episode 13 of the Wound Masterclass podcast coming in two weeks. This episode 12 has been decoding wound descriptions, why the words that we use matter. Thank you again for joining us and we look forward to having you join us for the Wound Masterclass Academy of Events, which includes some virtual interactive global events. Many thanks and see you soon.